Well, church, as the lights come up just a little bit, turn your Bible with that passage of Scripture to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 4. We're not going to read through all that they just read in the video so that we can uh, continue to look at the message in it as we look at this. This is a, an interesting thing, and in fact, it wasn't until just maybe the end of my studying this week that I started to realize the the thing that God was revealing. His Spirit just all the time just maybe said set aside a little bit so that you and I can get a little face time. Because as I picked apart this chapter, it's so unique because Nebuchadnezzar speaks so much of it in first person. And so it's a strange thing when we have uh, someone who's obviously not God's uh, man or of God's people um, pinning something in the first person in Scripture. And so uh, this passage has always intrigued me. Uh, and so as I was getting intrigued, I started thinking about other things that, that we thought were good ideas or, or that made sense or that were working and were intriguing ideas, but maybe didn't play out like we thought. And so immediately, uh, I, I just started looking through history. And do you know, in the 1940s, we came upon a great plan. This plan was, is that we as America and Russia as a superpower were probably not going to get along anytime soon. And so in that, we started a new concept, a concept that had, had never been labeled before. And so we believed it to be new. And we called that concept, what? The Cold War, right? Right? And so this Cold War, the idea was not to win the battle. Did you realize that? The idea of the Cold War was never to win. The Cold War completely took the idea of victory off the table. Like it had no point, no purpose, and no place. The idea instead became containment. Have you ever thought about that? Like, only mothers of preschoolers thinks that's a winning battle. Amen? You're like, containment. <laughs> like, like, wait this thing out, and we're going to be okay. But, but this idea of containment was that, that if we can just keep them from overspilling their banks, that that's a win. And so that set off this arms race. Now, kind of a funny thing, we weren't the only ones who participated in the arms race, were we? So, so the Soviet Union started participating as well. And time went on and time went on until the 80s. And in the 80s, you know, we, we started to have some, some things come about. And then finally, in 1989, the wall, Berlin Wall, the symbol of the Cold War fell. And in 1991, history proclaimed the Cold War between the United States and Russia is over. It worked. Does that feel honest today? Do you feel like the Cold War is over between the U.S. and Russia? It surely doesn't feel that way. I remember watching Rocky III in the middle 80s. It didn't feel like the Cold War was over then. In the middle of it, we had this interesting concept that something other than victory was the way to win. When I look at God's Word, I think sometimes we start to apply our interesting concepts to the Lord. And when we do that, we distort Him into a God who's working on containment instead of salvation. And Nebuchadnezzar's story really leans into us on that. You see, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And you heard about the dream. The dream was about a tree that was huge and glorious and great. And that one of the most high, holy ones, one of the angels came and said, Hey, cut it down. Leave only the stumps. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar was upset by this dream, so much so that he needed wisdom. He needed some direction. But what's funny is God told Nebuchadnezzar in the dream what the purpose of the dream was. Yet he was blinded to it. Look in your Bible in verse 17. <clears throat> this is the most important thing. If you miss everything else today, you're a bad listener. But this is still the most important thing. Okay, this is what the Bible says in verse 17 of chapter 4. Then the sentence is by the decree of the watchers and the decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end, to the end, okay? <clears throat> in other words, right now he's saying this is the goal. Like this is the point. To the end that the living may know that the most high rules, okay? If you don't get anything else today, <clears throat> this is the most important thing. And I don't want you to run by it. Because the Lord doesn't say, I want everything ever invented to know the most high rules. What's interesting is, <clears throat> he says, that the living may know the most high rule. Now check this out. Why just the living? Because there's an absolute truth that's undeniable. The dead know that Jesus rules. See, this is, this is huge. There, there is no one who has died who does not understand the most high God the creator of the heavens and the earth, whose son is Jesus. There is no one who is dead that is confused about that part. So there's no convincing. There's no, there's no reason to pray for them. There's no realization to come. They're not clueless still. They're not trying to figure it out. The dead know the most high God rules, either because they are experiencing his presence and his glory, or they are experiencing the distance in eternal suffering in hell. That... The dead don't need to know this. But what's interesting about this is the Lord doesn't say, I'm telling you this dream so that you, O Nebuchadnezzar, would know the most high rules. This isn't singular. This isn't, this isn't one point for, for the people. We're going to, just so that you'll know, you're going to hear us trying to figure out the sound system a little bit today. Listen, our sound guys and audio guys and video, they do an amazing job. But when a preacher loses his voice and has to have everything amped up, um, they're killing it. So blame that on me. They'll figure it out. You just punch through God's word with us. But man, y'all are killing it. Y'all are killing it. At home, if you can see me here, the video guys are killing it. All right? Are y'all with me? We'll stay through this distraction. You're good? Okay. So what we need to know is this message... <clears throat> is for everyone who is living. If you are alive, would you raise your hand? That's good. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a bad listener, and you're wrong, <laughs> right? Because we're alive. What does this mean? This means Nebuchadnezzar's dream was given for whom? For you. Because you're living. There's a reason God has a purpose for you in your life to hear this word that he gave to a Babylonian king thousands of years ago. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God's word is so rich. So, so how does he illustrate this through not just the dream, but through the process? Look in your Bible with me in verse 19 through 26. <clears throat> Excuse me, this is what the word says. The king called Daniel in, and Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. 
and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew, it became strong so that its top reached the heaven. It's visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were abundant and its fruit was abundant for which all food was for all and under the, which the beasts of the fields found shade and whose branches of the birds of the heavens lived. Verse 22, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown to the reaches of the heavens, your dominions to the ends of the earth. And because you saw the king, that you saw the watcher, the holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth and bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and, the, and, <clears throat> and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods pass over him. This is the interpretation, king. It is a degree of the most high which has come upon my lord the king that you will be driven from among men. You will dwell with the beasts of the field. You will made, be made to eat grass like an ox. You'll be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass. I don't know if you've ever been in a moment like the king has just experienced. But but he is distraught so much that he asked Daniel to come in and give him this dream. When Daniel tells him the interpretation, <clears throat> I wonder if he had a moment. Have you ever heard news that sounded contradictory? Like, like news that sounded completely the opposite of what you knew to be, be true or, or even a promise of God. You see, Nebuchadnezzar in this moment, I can't imagine he's not thinking, Daniel, a few years ago, the Most High God told me that my kingdom would be the golden kingdom. A few years ago, the Most High God promised me that mine would be the greatest kingdom. How can that be true and now what you're telling me happened be also true? I can't reconcile it. Either your God is a liar or you're wrong. I think this is a real quandary that people find themselves in. Have you ever found yourself in there? Where God is, has given you assurances. He's, he's told you to trust him. He's told you that, listen, if you live for me at work, I will show you abundance in, in your life. If you, if you love your spouse with the love of Christ and present her in a holy and unblameless, I will, I will be pleased with you. If you honor your parents, I will bless you. Think of all the promises in Scripture. Have you ever felt like God has shared one thing with you in your word and you're running after him in that, but then something happens that makes it contradictory? I think that the problem that we have, we see in the king's experience. How in the world can I be the golden kingdom and for seven years lose my mind? Do you know how many kingdoms last without a king for seven years and wait for him to come, become sane again? None. It never happens. There, there's never that type of, of point. But there's a biblical truth that God wanted to illustrate, and this illustration helps us know that he's the most high God, and here's what, what it says, what it is. That problems do not negate 
the promise of God. I don't know if you needed to hear that. But our problems that we encounter don't negate God's promises. They are, they are both simultaneously possible to show the greatness of God. Think about Moses. Moses was told, listen, take my people out of Egypt because I'm leading them to the promised land. Eighty years in the desert. How many problems did he encounter? Did they negate the promise? Not ever, not, not one time did they negate the promise. Abraham, when he was called to leave home, I'm sending you out from the people you know to a place that's better. He was attacked. He was overwhelmed. His family fell apart along the way. But in the end, God brought it all back together. He experienced the problem. The problems that we face do not negate the promises of God. This is important because I believe wholeheartedly that it is this reality that is not caught, that's not known by the world that we live in. You see, because we want to be a problem solver, amen? We want to, because we feel like if I can just solve this one problem, God, then I can get back to the promise. Because as much as we make fun of it, this prosperity gospel garbage has made its way into natural and mainstream theology. Because we believe when things are going wrong, then the Lord must be trying to give me a test, and I need to pass the test so that I can have the promise of God again because they can't coexist. Can you imagine Rahab when the spies said, we'll keep you safe, but here's what you have to do. Don't tell anyone that we were with you. Don't give us away and just hang a scarlet cloth out your window. Can you imagine how difficult it was to wait while her city was under, under this crumbling attack in Jericho. The problems that we experience do not negate the promise of God. And God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to be aware of this. He wanted us to be aware of it aware as well. Why? Because we need confidence in our confusion. Right? Have you ever had a problem you can't figure out? The country? Have you ever been struggling with your children when you're trying to lead them towards Christ or you're trying to, to help them develop into the person that God's given you to, to steward them? Being a parent's a scary thing. And yet you're struggling and you're encountering these problems and your goal stops being on the promise and it starts being on the problems. There is no comfort in confusion when we're trying to figure out every problem to create our own promise. There's none to be found. But the joy of the Lord is when we remember that the Most High God rules and we, we settle in with this reality that the problems that I experience in my life do not negate the promise of God, then all of a sudden we can have confidence even in the confusion. When are things gonna get better? I don't know, but they will. How is this going to work? If, if this is how we raise our children, if we pour the Lord into them and they're struggling right now, how do you suppose we are going to get them back on track? I don't know. But the Lord says to follow him and offer our children unto him 
and to teach them the things of God and to trust them to him. So I have confidence even in the confusion that he will. With every battle that we face, what steals your confidence? The problem. And what the Lord says is, listen, the problem doesn't negate the promise, so move on. Listen to what verse 27 verse 31 say. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your inequities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Verse 28, and all of this came upon Nebuchadnezzar, and at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power and a royal residence and from the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, for you have spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. This is such an interesting piece of scripture. It's almost an odd slice. Because when Daniel tells the king what God's word is, he also shares something with him that's pretty amazing. He says, listen, king, I know you might be wondering, how do I resolve this? You see, the king is distraught. He wants to resolve the promise, the problem, so he can continue in the promise. And what Daniel says, resolution finds in, in reversing. It, it's turning in an about face. You see, because what Daniel says to him is this, you need to repent. But repentance is not a play. It's a posture. Church, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that repentance is a posture and not a play? You see, Nebuchadnezzar, every time he had a dream, you know what he did? He repented. Oh, the most holy guy God rules. Something would happen. Oh, I'm sorry for the moment. But it was always a play. And Daniel was saying, you need to go from just turning away for a moment from your sins to having a posture of repentance. The Bible says the Lord doesn't want your offerings he wants your spirit, your contrite, your repentant spirit. You see, church, when we look at Nebuchadnezzar, we see him in angst, in hardship. Daniel says, repent, and let's see what the Lord does. What does he do? Within 12 months, he feels better. He's put the salve, that, that ointment on his spirit. And he's overlooked his sin. Why can't everybody else? I'm back to normal again. You see, when we are deep into sin, the resolution that we try to put on our life is always temporary because the problems change all the time. Like a Christmas present you keep regifting. They never go away. They just get new wrapping paper. You see, what the king says here and what he does here is very different. But what Daniel points him to is knowing that the Most High God rules. And he can know it one of two ways. One, through the experience of God's discipline or the reality of God's grace. Church, we have to look beyond repentance as a momentary thing. Nowhere in Scripture is repentance honored just in the moment. 
You see, we have, to, we have to look deeper into it and see that it is the posture that God is calling us to in our day in and day out life. Think about Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He was going to tell them that God was going to judge them. He didn't even offer repentance in his speech. He just told them judgment's coming. But what happened? The kingdom of Nineveh, from the highest to the lowest, they repented. And what did God do? He showed mercy. Now, this is amazing. This is a super huge truth. Nowhere in Scripture does the promise of blessing that God gives, does it ever change. No matter how much of a knucklehead anyone is, God always says, when I promise you good, good is always coming. But what's amazing is God says, when I promise you bad, bad may come, but I may show grace for a season. Nineveh was still destroyed. But for this season, God elongated. He stayed his grace. When Adam and Eve died, I took of the, the fruit in the garden. God says, if you eat of it, you'll die. But he allowed his grace to rule in their heart for a season before the judgment came. Judgment's still coming. Church, we look at someone like David, a man after God's own heart. When he sinned with Bathsheba, what did God say? Your child will die. What did David do? He repented wholeheartedly, just like Nineveh. What happened with the child? The child still died. You see, what allowed David, when he got the news that his child had died, to clean up, stand up, and worship the Lord? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine your sin causing the death of someone you love or the impending death? And you repented and you repented and you repented. And when you got news of their death, standing up and cleaning off and saying, praise be to God most high. Could you imagine that? What kind of person can worship God when God's word is true and it is not pleasant because of our sin? Someone who knows that repentance is not a play on God to try to manipulate our king but knows it is a posture that no matter what God does, no matter what he lays out for us in our life, that he is holy and good. You see, when we know and live a life of repentance, you know what it does? It removes the anxiety from life. It removes the anxiety of the unknown. This week has been such a weird week for me. Um, in a world where your pastor is not allowed to touch anybody and he doesn't have a voice so he can't even get to anybody, it's a weird thing. And so as we were working on the sound this morning, for the first time in my life, I thought, Lord, this is kind of what it's like to be crippled. I pray that it's temporary. But if I don't have these in my ears and this on my mouth, there's no way the word gets from me to you. If I don't have these people doing their job, I can't do this alone. I much prefer to have my full voice because my full voice in this room, let the lights go out, let the sound system go down. We're going to hear the word of God. 
but it's not there. And so in my affliction, will I praise God only when he removes it? Or will I turn my back on anything that would pull me away from him in the midst of it and praise him, whether it's one month or a thousand years? You see, church, when you and I stop seeing repentance as a play to solve the problem, it removes the anxiety of the unknown. But if we keep using repentance as a play to solve the problem, the anxiety never leaves. And the confusion and the confidence, they never see one another. Where are you today? Do you understand that the most high rules... And that's why we live in a posture of repenting from sin, of denying self and taking up the cross. Look at verse 34 through verse 37. <clears throat> so what, what the Bible tells us here, let me give you just a second, is Nebuchadnezzar, he, he finds himself seven years eating grass, kicked out of a season, nails long, he's gone out of his mind. Verse 34. At the end of the days... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. What? For seven years, he has been eating grass because of the Most High. Like God's taken full ownership. For seven years, he has been looked on as a fool. He has been marginalized. He has been hated. He has been despised. He has been neglected. People have ran from him. You and I may have not even know a taste of this kind of humility, or maybe you do. But the Bible says in verse 34, at the end of the days, I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. The word reason means my understanding. And you know where his understanding was found? In the Most High God. You see, it says, when his reason returned, I blessed the Most High. He didn't just bless him. He's not blessing Daniel's God. He's not blessing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. He says, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures for generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth, they're nothing accounted or counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, my splendor returned to me. My counselors, lords, they sought me. I was established in the kingdom and more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven for all of his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is amazing. I mean, these are the last recorded words of Nebuchadnezzar in Scripture, and they're reminding us that he gets it. The Most High God rules. Church, as we look in this point, you might be saying, how, how do you find that type of peace? How when we are at each other's throats in this life, left and right, how when everything I watch on the news is tainted towards some God that is not the most high, how do we do this? Well, the Bible says that reason, that understanding of God is the only 
escape. It's the only way to truth. It's the only way to life. The first time I read this passage, I thought of Romans chapter 1. When a God said, listen, people have turned their hearts from me, and so I'm giving them over to a depraved mind. What does that mean? It means I will give the people what they're asking for. If understanding and wisdom is only found in me, and they are looking for themselves, I will give them what they're asking for. You see, church, the reality is this, is that real truth isn't measured by my experience, but it's measured by God's. The reality of life, the fullness of life, is not measured by my experience, but by God's, and that's the best thing. I want you to to be practical for just a moment. I want you to look where depravity leads us. I've heard more and more people say, I want to live my truth. Have you heard this? This is the most common, it seems like, new pushing going on in our society right now. What is my truth? Well, my truth sets me up as the most high. My truth says, I'm going to do it my way because this feels most natural, most comfortable for me. Here's the problem. If you and I don't recognize, if reason is not there, everybody has their own truth. If that was real, where would it lead us to? It would lead to peace, wouldn't it? If everyone was able to live their own truth, they can live their own truth, you can live your own truth, then it should lead to peace because then everybody would be their own little God. Now now here's the problem. What happens when your truth disagrees with my truth? I mean, the bigot, he's living his truth. The murderer, she's living her truth. The person who's afraid and and wants you to, to stay apart from society, they're living their truth. Are you living your truth and and you don't like the president? He's living his truth. Are you living your truth but hate the people in Congress? They're living their truth. You see, if you are okay with your sin and you're living your truth and you are upset with someone else for living their truth, welcome to the world of hypocrisy. Because individual truth doesn't lead to peace. It hasn't since the garden. What were Adam and and Eve doing? Adam and Eve were living their truth. I'll take a bite because I can be like God. I can be like the Most High. You see, the spirit of Babylon wants you and I to believe that the Most High is not the Most High because if you believe that, then you will know that He is truth. Instead, it would say, listen, do you have problems in your life right now? Then you need to solve them. You need to make some plays. You need to make some moves. And who's the best person to take care of you? You. This isn't new. This is exactly what happened in Babylon. The enemy's just taken it out of one present, one wrapping paper, and put it into another. For you this morning, church, have you gotten sucked in to Babylon? 
in thinking that the problems that you're experiencing will keep you from God's promise, God's promise for your children, God's promise for your, your marriage, God's promise for your life, God's promise for eternity. And so you have been doing everything you can to solve these problems. You are, you are worrying yourself to death. Listen, I'm preaching in the mirror because the virus that popped up in me, there's only one way it pops up. When your immune system is so low because you've been stressing out so hard, so I'm preaching to me. But if you believe that that your truth, that in yourself you hold the key to the problems, then confusion will reign in your life. Anxiety will fill your dreams. And at the end of your days, you will realize that repentance was not a game to manipulate the Almighty God. But instead, he says, let me tell you the story of Nebuchadnezzar so that you might know the Most High rules. When you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, don't fear evil because they don't impact my promise. I'm with you. When you are are wrestling with repentance, find yourself on your knees acknowledging the most high God rules and I will give you comfort and confidence through the storms. And when the storm ends, and even when you're in the middle of it, I want you to know that it's not your truth, but it's mine. And because I, the Most High God, have made a promise to you, believe in me, and you will be saved, then I am able to overcome every problem. I am able to ensure every victory. You just find yourself on your knees and experience my grace. This morning, church, is that where you need to be? Have you been so worked up about the work of the enemy that you have forgotten that you are not the problem solver, but you serve the problem solver? Now's the time. Repent. Not to manipulate God, but repent to posture yourself before Him. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord, we know that your promises are sure. You tell us that those who believe in your Son will have eternal life. No matter what we face, God, that promise is secure. You tell us that you have come, that we may have life abundantly. No matter what's going on around us, that promise is sure. You have told us that you will never leave or forsake us. No matter what's going on in our life, that promise is sure. God, because you are the most high God. So, Lord, I pray that in the marriages that are struggling in this room today, Lord, they would find themselves embracing that truth. Father God, with people that are struggling with their identity, with their desires, with their, with their guilt and their, their sins, God, that this morning they would know that you are the most high God over that in their life. Lord, in all these things, would you reign? Father, if there is anyone watching this morning, or anyone in this room who has never known understanding. Lord, this moment, would you open their eyes? 
would you let them fall on their knees drop what's in their hands and confess your name as the most high God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.